see, ears to hear, heart, mind, and will to comprehend the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. Let me start this recording. Okay, take your Bible with me this morning. And I actually did go back to 1 John. <laughs> Took me a while to get there. Turn no, 2 John, excuse me, 2 John is where we're at. John's second epistle. This message will be the second in this series. I think it will end up being three, maybe four messages. <clears throat> we'll get to the part that I'm really wanting to get to, Lord willing, next Sunday, about if any man abide not in the doctrine of Christ, he hath not God. And that's why, you know, because of those statements it's made beginning in verse 7 through verse 10, that's why I entitled this series Abiding in Christ. This will be Abiding in Christ, part two. And I actually, this time, I don't have an introduction. We're just going to jump right in. That's what we're going to do this morning, okay? But I do, I guess I do have an introduction. <laughs> I want to remind you again, because you've got to keep these things in mind. I want to remind you again in beginning of those, to keep those two absolutes. I know you probably remember them for sure. Those two absolutes in mind as we study this book. Here's the first absolute that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Word of God teaches us. I have no apology for these. First of all, those chosen by God the Father in the everlasting covenant of grace, according to Romans chapter 9, according to His purpose of election before the foundation of the world, all those redeemed and justified by Christ's accomplished redemption at Calvary, by Christ's very obedience unto death, His bloody sacrifice on their behalf. All those who in time, under the preaching of God's gospel, the preaching out of this righteousness, which that's what the gospel is. The gospel's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a sentiment. It's, it's a declaration of a reality. What does it declare? Righteousness. Whose? God's, not man's. All those regenerated and converted by God the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel. Here's the first absolute. They can never, I know the religious world loses their mind on this, they can never lose this salvation that is freely and graciously bestowed on them. I remember the first time I said that, when we were sending out videos over the internet, and I had a dude get in touch with me from Alabama, lost his mind over that statement. Maybe that, maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, hearing that statement this morning, and you're going to go out here, you'll walk out that door, and you'll think, that guy said we can do whatever we want to do. It's not what I said. And that's what your natural mind hears when you hear this freedom. Because you can't comprehend the grace of God. It's, that's foolishness to you. You mean to tell me that everything this person did that I've never seen, I've never heard with my physical ears, never handled with my hand, this person produced a righteousness for me and charged it to me, and my sins were charged to him in such a way that he became fully accountable for them, and he bore them away like the scapegoat of old perfectly in his body? That's what you're. That's exactly what the Word of God tells us. That's the only good news a sinner can hear. 
If, if your salvation rests on you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, I'm telling you what, I'm talking to a group of people that are all going to hell, myself included. Here's the second absolute. It's the theme of this epistle. Every elect sinner God saves by His almighty grace will forever abide, continue in, live by, and die in the doctrine of Christ. That's their only hope. And I tell you, you can't make them leave it. I said that last Sunday. I'll say it again. You can't, you can't make a child of God leave the gospel of God's grace. It's impossible. It will not happen. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews stated this fact and made this fact abundantly clear. He said, now the just, the righteous, how do they live? They live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. In other words, there's no, those who draw back, there's no hope for them. But then he tell, gives us this precious promise. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition. But by God's grace, because I tell you what, you don't, you don't have any faith in and of yourself. You're not of them that draw back unto perdition, but to them, we're them that believe Continue to believe to the salvation of the soul. Why? My hope is ever and always. We, we sang it just a minute ago. Glory, glory, I'm accepted, robed in Christ's own righteousness. Think about what you sung this morning when you held that little book in your hand and you sang these words. Robed in Christ's own righteousness. I'm a child and heir of heaven, saved by God's almighty grace. Christ, obe here, Christ obedience to the Father is imputed, charged. That's what that word reckoned. That's what it's reckoned to be mine. Christ's obedience to the Father is reckoned now to me. It's mine. And here's the result. In God's sight, I'm pure and holy. He declares me so to be. You can't get any better news than that. It's impossible. The Greek word of them that draw back means the timidity of one who stealthily retreats. Just kind of backs away from it. Leaves it behind. Counts it something of no value. All God's elect, listen, they will never, they will never through timidity stealthily retreat from the gospel of God's free grace. And they will not retreat from the family of God. Ever. You think about this. That, that, that's what the truth that this elder, John, the Apostle John, who was now almost 100 years old, he addressed this elect lady and this, her children. He, he said this to her. And let me just read this to you real quick, and we'll pick up verse 4. He said, The elder unto the elect lady and to her children, whom I love, how does he love them? In the truth. And not I only, but all those who have known the truth. What? They love her too. And they love her children who believe the gospel. Why? For the truth's sake. You see that? Which dwells in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be to you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and through love. Through persecution both within and without. Through good times and bad times. 
this elect lady and her children, you know what they did? They abode in the truth. They continued in it. And I, I don't think you can overstate that truth enough, seeing that the opposite of abiding in the truth, if you don't abide in the truth, reveals that one, where do you abide? You're abiding in death. Listen to it. They went out from us to make manifest they were not part of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But thank God for this next verse. But you have an unction from the Holy Ghost, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And not only do we know the truth, he says this, and you know that no lie is of the truth. Now look at verse 4, 2 John verse 4. He said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Listen to Young's little translation of this verse. He says, I rejoiced exceedingly that I have found of thy children walking in truth, even as a command we did receive from the Father. I spent a lot of time looking at this week for this command. <laughs> he said, John says, we receive this command from the Father. Whatever this commandment is. Now, I know a lot of people, they get hung up and they get in First and Second John, and when they think about the commandments, the first thing every natural mind runs to when we think about the commandments, which ones do we think about? The Ten Commandments. Not the commandments we're talking about here. Not at all. You think about this. This, this great apostle, John, who, like I told you last week, he's now about 100 years old. He's been on the Isle of Patmos, and now he's off the Isle of Patmos. <clears throat> and he's the elder of the church, and he's written First John, and now he's writing a second letter. And this great apostle of God who had seen so much and been through so much, who had actually handled the Lord of glory from First John, tells us. He says, I rejoiced greatly that I found this elect woman, this, this called out sinner woman, Children doing what? Walking in the truth. As we have received commandment of the Father. You know, this commandment from the Father, it has to do with his command for all his elect to do one thing only. Believe on him whom God hath sent. Listen to you. To believe on the one who, listen, who is eternal life. See, they convinced me eternal life is something out yonder. Eternal life is, you know what eternal, eternal life is a person. It's Christ. That's why I mean, we have to be found in Christ. Listen to you. This is our Lord Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me, believeth not on me, but he believes on him that sent me. Now, what, what, he believes on the Father that did what? Sent the Son. What did he send the son for? Anybody got to got to answer that? Why did Why did he send the son? Our Lord in his high priestly prayer tells us why he sent sent the son. This is life eternal, that they might believe on thee, whom God hath. I believe. Well, I, it's one of them old age things. Let me read it to you. I want to get it right. 
He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. To who? To as many as thou gave him. How many? To as many as. Not all men and women without exception. Giving life to the ones that the Father gave him. But then he goes on. This is life eternal that they might know thee. Know who? The Father. And know him in what respect? The only true God that will by no means clear the guilty. Who has revealed himself only one way as a just God and a Savior. And... No, not just the Father, but who else do we know? And that word know is a Jewish idiom for a relationship between a husband and a wife that results in a child. That's what that word know means. So it means love. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay? So he says that you might love the only true God and love who else? Jesus Christ, whom thou hast Sin. So what's eternal life? To know the Father and know the Son. And so he says to them, now, now think about this. He, he, he said, believeth on me, but on him that sent me. Sent him wild to save his people from their sins. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Remember what he said to Philip? Philip said, show us the Father. He said, Philip, if I've been with you so long, if you've seen me, who have you seen? You've seen the Father. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You might write that. This is John 12, verses 44 through 50. But when I, when I read this thing of darkness and light, I always think about our Lord Jesus Christ with the, uh, Nicodemus. When he told him, he said, this is a condemnation that light is come into the world. And what did he say? Who did he say is light? Not the law. Not moral fortitude and obedience. What's the light? Christ. I'm not the light. Christ is the light. And he said men love darkness more than they love the light. Context, context, context. Who was he talking to? Nicodemus. What was Nicodemus? An immoral, ungodly pervert. No, he was not. What was he? He was a religious, moral, sincere, dedicated religious person. Nobody else was there. No prostitutes, no tax collectors, no gathering demoniacs. A religious person. And he says to them, that man, they love darkness. What kind of darkness did Nicodemus like? Remember, he sought our Lord by night because he was fearful if he was known what would happen to him. He'd be kicked out of the synagogue. He'd lose his way. That he'd been striving for. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I shall not judge him. For I came not to judge the world. What did Christ come to do? He came to save it. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words which I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment. Now here's the commandment we're talking. He gave me a commandment. He told that, told that elect woman that as we have received commandment from the Father. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, and second person of the Trinity. He says, the Father gave me, he sent me, and he gave me a commandment. 
what I should say and what I should speak. And I know, listen to this, I know that His commandment, Bob, I've read this verse, I've read John hundreds of times in my lifetime. Never, never, never read. This never keyed in my mind. I know that His commandment is everlasting life. He that hath the Son hath life. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. What I speak? I speak of the commandment of the Father, which is eternal life. How? Through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You keep in mind how... When you think about it, Paul answered that Philippian jailer. Remember the Philippian jailer saw the jail cells open, woke up out of his sleep, saw the jail cells open, and he ran inside, and he looked around, he pulled his sword, he was about to kill himself, and they looked at him, and they said, do yourself no harm. Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. Everybody's right here. And he looked at him, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And everybody says, look at there, he wants salvation. A lot, of, a lot of problems with the way he asked that. Because here's the biggest problem, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? <laughs> that's why, that's why I, I, I coined the phrase probably three decades ago, every religion that tells us do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that, what is it? It's do-do religion is what it is. It's not what must I do to be saved. That's a good question. But it had a wrong thought behind it. But they answered his question. What did they tell him? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. I'd have you to notice here what this calls this elder apostle to rejoice exceedingly. What did it? Well, I'll tell you what. It wasn't earthly achievements by these children by these elect sinners' children. While there ain't anything wrong with you or I being proud or congratulating our children or our grandchildren or our friends and our families for their earthly achievement, what filled John's heart with joy? What did it? He said, I found some of her children walking in the truth. You think about this. John's heart was filled with exceeding joy because he found some of those children of this woman believe in the gospel. That original word translated walking means to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. And like I told you last time, the word translated the truth means what? The truth is taught in the Christian religion respecting God and all the executions of his purposes through Jesus Christ. That's what the truth is. His rejoicing was, you know what? He found some of her children making their way and progressing in the truth of salvation full and free through Christ's accomplished work of redemption. The greatest joy that I have ever had as a pastor is to see young men and women, and, and what's amazed me and a lot of you don't know all of it because when we started broadcasting out there on, on Sermon Audio and then later YouTube and Facebook Live, how many people that, that have heard us through the years over the Internet that are older people in their 70s and 80s, spent all their lives in religion, 
the Lord was pleased to reveal himself to them. That's what gives you and I great joy, is it not? To see people set free from the law of sin and death. To see men and women brought out of religious darkness and brought to see Christ is the Lord their righteousness. And when our Lord Jesus Christ told those Jews who had believed on Him, what did He tell them? He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. There's that truth again. You'll know the execution of God's purposes of salvation through Christ. You'll know the truth. And that truth, it sets you free. He went again and he said, If the Son therefore, the only one who can set you free, if the Son therefore make you free, how free are you? You're free indeed. Completely. But I think one of the things that I discovered in studying this this week that just really amazed me when he says that I found of thy children walking in the truth, the way he stated that and the way it's written in the original language doesn't mean that he found all of her children believers. He found some of them believers. Some of them believe in the gospel. I like what John Gill wrote in his commentary, and this is true for you and I too as uh, we're parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. He said this of those words, not all but some of them. For good parents have not always good children. Or at least not all of them. Adam had a Cain. Abraham had an Ishmael. Isaac had an Esau. God is pleased to show his discriminating grace in tribes and families by taking some and leaving others. It is a great mystery when any are called by God's grace. And instead of the fathers, I'm going to get to that in just a minute, instead of the fathers, are the children called. And this was the case of some of this, these children of this elect lady. See, what this verse teaches me is that this elect lady who knew the truth, who walked in the truth, and was loved by others who walked in the truth. You know what she did? She diligently used all the means available to her to teach her children the truth. You hear that? Teach her children the truth. Trusting that God would show mercy and grace to them according to His sovereign will and good pleasure. And the thing that got me, that you know, there's no mention. You know, he mentions the elect woman, the elect lady. He don't mention no elect man. Doesn't mention her husband. Mentions her children, but not her husband. What does that mean? It means she understood her responsibility as the believing parent, one who knew the truth concerning those children who had been committed into her watch care. The greatest responsibility you and I have as human beings on this planet is our children and our grandchildren. That's our responsibility. I know I can't save my boys, I can't save my granddaughter. But what I can do, I can use the means God's given me to keep my boys, which we did, and keep my, my granddaughter under the gospel of God's grace. You know that Adam and Eve, what'd they do? They taught their boys. 
What did they teach their boys? They told both their sons, committed to their watch care, about how God redeemed them and how he saved them by his grace and by his mercy. How do we know that? How do we know that's the case? When they're grown men and they go out to worship on their own because every, every husband, every father was the head of the household and in the head of the household, every father before the priesthood was established, every father served as a priest in his own household. And as the priest of his household who was raised with his brother Cain and had heard the same things, mom and dad, you, you don't think Adam and Eve taught them boys about what, what they had experienced out there in that garden? about how they tremble when they heard the voice of God and how God removed those fig leaves of self-righteousness and He killed an innocent victim and He made for them clothes of skin and covered their nakedness, forgave and put away their sin. Abel and Cain heard that. And by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Oh, Cain came to worship. How did he come? With the works of his hands. And tragically, that's about what 99.9% .9 of people in religion are doing today. They're coming with the works of their hand. They're firmly standing on that question that Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? You know, the Jews looked at our Lord Jesus Christ and they said, what can we work that we might work the works of God? What was his response? This is the work of God. What's the work of God? Here it is, for the sinner... This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom God has sent. That's, that, that's God's work in my heart. I could, I could not believe. I have no faith in and of myself. I have no ability. To, yeah, I mean, just think about what the Scriptures say. No man can come except it were given unto him of the Father. All that the Father giveth me, what? They shall come unto me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I mean, this, this is so important to you and me as children. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that with all my heart. Don't you? Whoever. And it means all. What whoever means all who call. How? But see, we, we, don't, we hear that verse. But nobody goes on. They stop. They, 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 they get everybody to call on the name of the Lord. And everybody in my generation has. But Paul goes, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Somebody got to tell you about this God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed thy report? So then faith comes by how? Hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. And see, we see the same truth set forth in the way Timothy's grandmother and mother taught him the truth from their ch his childhood. Listen to this. Paul said to this young preacher, Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that the same one that dwelt and indwelt 
in your grandmother and your mother. You know what? He says, I'm persuaded that it's in you also. And into this same mom and grandma, he says to, to Timothy, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. For me to learn something, what's somebody got to do? Somebody got to teach me. He said, Continue in what you've learned. And hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who did he learn them from? Here we go. And that from a child. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Who made known the Holy Scriptures to him? Lois and Eunice. His grandmother and his mother. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to me. While we have absolutely no guarantee that our children or our grandchildren or our nieces and our nephews, though taught by us the truth of the gospel at home, that's our responsibility. We have Grace Baptist Church. We've been together for 36, I think, coming up on 37 years together. Seen a lot of kids grow up in this church with us, all of us together. But listen. It's not your responsibility as a parent or grandparent just to bring them here on Sundays. What are we to do? We're to teach and instruct our children. We're to use the means God's given us. We're to use the power and authority that we have as parents to enforce that they stay where. I'm not my... I would, my boys will tell you that. I'm friends with my boys now. But my boys are 42 and 39. Isn't that right? I was not my boys' friends. I wasn't their buddy. I wasn't their pal. I wasn't their confidant. Their mama was their confidant. I was their teacher. And she was too. I was their instructor while in this life. I was their guide. And they had no rights. They didn't like it. They bucked against it, but it didn't change what they were going to do. They were going to be under the gospel. Every time that it was preached, they were, unless they were sick or they were at their grandparents' house on vacation or something, they were always under it. But even though I don't have any guarantee that doing that saved my boys, and I don't. I don't think it was because of me and Pam's efforts to, to do all that that saved them. I do know this much. The only way my children, your children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, your family, the only way they're going to come to know the gospel, what do they got to do? They got to hear the gospel. There are no accidents in this life. Every person that ever crosses your path, you are one of two things as one who believes the gospel. You are a savior of life unto life or a savior of death unto death to them. Because when they've heard the truth, they are without excuse. All of them. That's why we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in the call to worship. How does God, what did he choose to use to save sinners? You're not going to be out on the lake or out on the deer stand and look up at the sun or the stars and come to know the Lord. That's not scriptural. Faith comes how? What is God? See, that's the thing. You said, well, you're saying that God can't save people anyway. I used to have one guy I greatly respected at one point in time. He said, God can save sinners any way he wants to, at any time he wants to, with any means he wants to. He, he could, 
But God tells us of Himself that what does He not do? I'm the Lord God, I change not. And if He's written down in this book that He's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, how does He call sinners to salvation? If you don't agree with that, prove it to me from this book. Because if, if, if that's the case, if God doesn't use means to call His sheep out, let's just close grace up and turn it into a bar and go about our way. And let's just hope and pray that at some point in time, God's elect, they'll be out on the lake or they'll be sitting in a bar somewhere or doing some other ungodly thing, whatever men might call ungodly, and then all of a sudden the light will come on. That's not the way it works. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, My sheep, well, they, they hear my voice. Well, they, they hear. That means, that means an audible sound. They hear with an ear. And they come unto me, and I give unto them eternal life. You say, what are you saying, preacher? This is what I'm saying. If you or your spouse believe the gospel, seriously consider your responsibility to instruct and guide those children in the truth of the gospel. Your responsibility. Emphasizing to them what's the most important thing to you as their mom or dad. And how do you do that? By your words concerning this gospel and by the great value you put on this gospel. If you're a believing parent, and your spouse doesn't believe the gospel. You know what? That leaves you without excuse? No, you're without excuse as far as your responsibility to do what? This mother, what did she do with her children? Huh? She taught them the truth. She did. If as grandparents we have unbelieving sons and daughters, We've been blessed with grandchildren by them and their spouses. Like Timothy's grandmother Lois, it's our responsibility to teach and instruct them in the truths of redemption through the accomplished redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility, not Richard Warmack. It's a Pastor Grace Baptist Church's responsibility alone. You've got them seven days a week. I get to speak to your family two hours every Sunday. Who has the greater responsibility? Who has the greater access? Who has the greater ability to show them how important, how invaluable this is to you? Here's the thing. When we've done everything we can do, using all the means at our disposal to keep our children and our grandchildren, and our nieces, and our nephews, and as the Lord presents opportunities for us to give an answer to every man that asks us the reason of the hope that lies in us with meekness and with fear. When we've done everything we can do, what do we have to do? We have to trust that God, according to His sovereign will and purpose, be pleased to use His means to cause His sheep to hear His voice and not question Him. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. These verses are a reference to what John had taught in 1 John. 
He said this in First John, this is actually Christ's words in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you do what? You love one another. John, in the previous epistle, he said this, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past. Not passing, the darkness is past. True light now shines. He that saith he's in the light hates his brother. Hates his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He continued, he said, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, we know we have passed from death into life. How do we know? Because we love the brethren. One more, beloved, let us love one another, for God is love, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. John was instructing this elect lady concerning one important truth, true brotherly love. That is to say, true love and loyalty to who? To these people who know the truth, who walk in the truth, believe the truth. And see, here's the thing. The only way we can love them that are of the truth, we have to be in the truth ourselves. And they themselves have to be in the truth. And there are a lot of ways that brotherly love expresses itself, but John is referring specifically here to that expression of love that takes sides with God's people against this entire world, not compromising his truth. And this brotherly love, folks, it's the fruit and it's the effect of our being born of God. This love of the brethren is it's not the same as love to our neighbor, which, listen, it's our responsibility to love all men and women, is it not? Remember, they asked our Lord one time, who's our neighbor? He told them, our neighbor's who? It's everybody. Well, listen, listen to this. He said this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's our responsibility. That should be our goal. But if we're honest, what do we find about ourselves and our love to our neighbor? Even people who are closely related to us, friends to us, that love often falls short, does it not? This brotherly love is something a natural man doesn't have in any degree. He can't love those that are born of God. This brotherly love, you think about it, it's perfectly consistent with our love to our neighbor, but it won't speak peace to our neighbor based on anything other than the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His only ground, hope, or cause of salvation. Let me close with this. Would love for your neighbor, you think about it, love your neighbor as yourself, would love for your neighbor promote and encourage our neighbor to expect salvation based on something that God's word calls idolatry and whoredom? Would that be loving your neighbor? So true love, you know what it won't do? It will not promote and it will not encourage our neighbors to expect salvation based on the de- those deeds that are evil, that the word of God calls fruit unto death, and it would not encourage our neighbor to expect salvation based on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood, and His righteousness. So how can we know we've passed from life into death? 
We love the brethren. And what will we not do? We will not speak peace to this world. And I'll tell you, where this world, is, this love is absent, there's no, been no passing from death unto life. This is that love which the Apostle John encourages in God's people. that We abide in the truth, firmly convinced that God's faithful to fulfill His promise of certain salvation based on the righteousness of Christ. And that God's faithful also to carry out His threat of certain destruction to any who approach Him any other way other than through the Son. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence this morning. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. Donald, if you would, dismiss us, please.